Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. Traffic in Chicago. It's not great. And that's frankly all I've got. I'm Sasha Ann Simonson from WBEZ Chicago. This is Reset. Every commuter knows what it's like to be stuck in traffic, getting to and from work. You might even be stuck in traffic right now, listening to this podcast. And according to a recent report, Chicago might be the worst, with commuters reportedly losing the most hours to congestion of anyone else in major U.S. cities. Joe Schwederman is the director of DePaul University's Chaddock Institute for Metropolitan Development and is going to help us dive into this report. We'll also be hearing from some Chicago residents about their thoughts on the traffic in this city. Now, before we get into the report, Joe, what are your thoughts on Chicago's traffic? Do you commute? I do on Metro, but I, of course, I'm on the roads uh, a fair amount like everybody else. And, you know, the report confirms what uh, what people are kind of thinking that, wow, well, in 2021, a lot of traffic maybe got a little worse on the weekends because of the pandemic, because so many people working at home or shifting their, their lifestyles. Uh, they were better other parts of the day. That's all kind of changed where congestion seems to be worse uh, uh, most of the time, except in that morning commute, you know, which used to be a real log jam, and that's kind of dissipated a bit. And the, uh, the perplexing thing about Chicago's poor ranking is that the number of trips from uh, outlying points to downtown, which is often where you face the worst congestion, to and yeah. from downtown, actually hadn't grown that much in the last year. So our our congestion is not due to uh, commuters going back to work uh, in the heart of the city. I mean, when we were first, when the pandemic first began a, a few years ago and barely anyone was on the roads, would you have anticipated that we would return to this type of congestion? You know, I think we all felt that in the early pandemic, that people wanted single-family homes. They were spreading out a little bit. And we've long known that when people don't have to drive to work or even commute on transit to work, they have a greater interest or propensity to use driving as part of leisure trips. So, oh, I'm stuck in this house all day. This weekend, we really should go to the beach in Michigan. And so suddenly you have people compensating for that work from home with with more driving at other times. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a factor. Of course, fuel prices got real cheap again. And the stimulus package in the federal government, everybody felt uh, pretty good. Not, of course, everybody, but on average, people had spending power. And uh, as we'll see, we'll talk to you later, uh, some of this this roadway uh, uh, growth has had and some pretty scary consequences for pedestrian fatalities and so forth. And yeah. that's, uh, that's why there's a lot to be concerned about here. Well, yeah, let's let's dig more into it. This new report, it is from mobility analytics firm Inrix. It's the second year in a row, actually, that Chicago's taking home gold for the most time lost to traffic. So, yay. But uh, talk to us more about where Inrix is getting its data from. Exactly. It's, uh, it's an impressive report. I, I will say... Uh, 
It does appear to be uh, looking at their methods, emphasizing trips to major employment centers. That's not just downtown, but in our region, it would be, you know, Evanston and Schaumburg and the O'Hare area and another other pockets where there's a lot of corporate activity or job activity. And uh, it appears to take randomized locations from around the region using, uh, you know, big data, cell phone data, those kind of uh, uh, Google Maps type uh, uh, algorithms to see how long it takes to get uh, on those routes. And, uh, you know, the good news is that's pretty good data. I think the the criticism would be that that's a diminishing share of trips in our region and maybe gives us a worst-case scenario because we know our expressways get really backed up here. Yeah. If you're on the, you know, the Kennedy or the Eisenhower, it can be a tough go in rush hour. But if you're on the grid, yeah, you know, things can move okay. Maybe outside of uh, certain areas like the North Lakefront, so it may give us, uh, it may penalize us a bit. But it's pretty scientific uh, uh, approach here. Well, you mentioned the major employment centers. Where are those? Well, the Chicago Loop, of course, is uh, is, is na- nationwide, second only to New York in terms of number of jobs. And, and uh, in the Loop pre-pandemic, we had about 60% using transit or walking or biking uh, before uh, you know before the pandemic. How it is now is probably different. Um, but you know we do have you know sometimes they're called edge cities. You know Schaumburg, you got a whole corporate complex out there around Woodfield, Oak Brook, and Glenview. We have lots of uh, and that area, lots of pharmaceutical uh, companies. And O'Hare is a uh, what they call Aerotropolis, which is a whole city in itself. Yeah. So you look at people going to those locations, and that's historically been where the congestion's been the worst. Post-pandemic, though, you know, we're a little more spread out. Yeah. Well, listeners, a reminder that we want to hear from you, too. Our number is 866-915-WBEZ. Call us now. Tell us about your commute. Are you seeing this type of traffic? Are you also spending part of that 155 hours just in your car waiting to get to work or get home? Let us know. Again, 866-915-WBEZ. W-B-E-Z. And Joe, that number, I mean, it, it is hard for me to wrap my mind around 155 hours per person in the car. Oh, yeah, that that is a big number. Yeah. People commute, uh, if they work, go in the office, maybe about 200 days a year, uh, you know, with vacations and sick time and those kind of things. And that's, you know, close to an hour per day you would be spending in traffic, uh, you know, if you're on a longer commute. And that's just the delay. That's not counting the actual uh, time it would take under no traffic conditions. And to give you a sense, so New York is 117 hours, so they're way below us. And you go down to that, wow. Philadelphia and Miami, you're going to be 105. How are we less than New York? So, that's incredible. So well, we have a little padding in our, our lead, you might say, which is not what we want to see. Not at all. Well, we got a comment from a listener, Anya, who mentioned that her commute really impacted her life outside of work. I live in Ukrainian Village in Chicago. I used to commute to my previous job over in Des Plaines, and that would take at least an hour, depending on traffic, um, there and back. It was really difficult to have a work, healthy work-life balance because of that, because two hours of my day is already gone besides a work day. 
uh, which made everything outside of work that much more difficult to balance and enjoy and like find time and energy for, including for myself. And Joe, you know, going back to that report, not only are we losing time like Anya, we're also losing money, right? Can you dig into that for us? Yeah, we are. And I think it happens in two ways. Of course, the monetary cost, you burn more gasoline, uh, diesel, whatever your vehicle is. When you're doing start and stop considerably, I mean, even those numbers for MPG for city assume you have kind of flowing traffic. So that hurts a wear and tear. Uh, potholes don't help. <laughs> but uh, but the other part is sort of the, mon- the non-monetary costs. And studies have come out showing if you're on an interstate, you know, with cruise control on, playing a podcast, now that's not as bad as you're not losing uh, – uh, huge amounts of, uh, of of leisure from that. You're just doing a, a different form of leisure than you do at home. Yeah. But when you're in traffic, looking at those brake lights in the car in front of you saying, you know, can I go? Do I need to stop? And you do that for an hour. That's just psychologically a really tough thing. And some studies show it takes you about a half hour after you arrive to just sort of return to the calm state you might have been before you started the drive. So the caller is exactly correct that it's not just the time, it's the uh, emotional energy that goes into that. Absolutely. Yeah. And and just on the monetary piece, right, the, the report from Enrix says that uh, estimated travel delays cost the Chicago area about $9.5 billion. Yeah, that's right. And uh, those are using good estimates. That's the federal government puts an estimate on what people disvalue time in the car. And yeah, the number's around $15 an hour, which suggests that, you know, for most people, they don't, uh, it's not like, it's not the same as an hour of work, which is, you would, you know, if you're losing an hour Still of work, a good chunk you of money, though. Time more than that. Yeah. But it's considerable. And uh, and that doesn't uh, even account for the fact when traffic's unpredictable, people on shifts, you know, they got to leave early, and then they sit there for 45 minutes because traffic was easier today. And that's... Uh, that's another hidden cost. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. What is your commute like? For some of us, it can be half an hour on a good day, but on a bad day, let's just say we're in traffic a lot longer than we'd like to be. And Chicagoans were recently given the title of commuters who spend the most time in traffic. Our guest is Joe Schwederman of DePaul University's Department of Public Policy. And we want to hear from you, too. Remember, you can call us now at 866 915 WBEZ to join the conversation and tell us how much of a time suck is driving for you. Again, 866-915-WBEZ. You know, for all the listeners out there, Joe, who, you know, get defensive every time Chicago gets a bad rap, you know, given that the city's roads and routes differ, you think we should take this report maybe with a grain of salt? Well, I do think, uh, you know, some of the reports are are written to command headlines. And, you know, this one clearly is... um, you know, all kind of rankings, so every city has something to, to write about. Uh, yeah. But I do think it's it's sort of a reminder that we're in a real quandary here, that our lifestyles have shifted after the pandemic, and we don't really have a good set of tools to solve this. We know we have to invest in a transit system, and to get people back on that, trips that are transit-friendly, and there's a lot of them. People are just still, in many cases, hesitant to use transit. And the numbers now show we're probably about it. 60% pre-pandemic on weekends, it's much higher, maybe close to 80%. So transit's coming back, but it's not it's not there yet. 
Yeah. But I think uh, in our region, uh, apart from that obvious uh, need, is we've been really slow in using traffic management innovations. Like if you look at our tollway system, we don't have big discounts for high occupancy vehicles for people, you know, that travel in groups. We don't have uh, different incentives for bus you know, bus lanes and uh, uh, variable tolling. If you shift till 10 at night, you can go free, and so there's no traffic. We do that for trucks, but not for cars. Uh, those kind of things uh, other cities are experimenting with, and we've, we've been playing it pretty traditional on, on highway planning. Let's jump to the phones, Joe. Here is Caleb, who goes from Holland, City, Holland to the city. Hey, Caleb, welcome to Reset. Hey, uh, how are you doing? Or thank you. <laughs> of course. Um, so I do the um, I do the like Lyft and Uber uh, rideshare stuff pretty okay. much um, various times throughout the day and night. And one of the things that I've noticed is uh, that contributes significantly to a lot of the traffic in like the maybe the heavily populous um, populated grid areas downtown would be like um, specifically cabs and um, rideshare drivers like myself waiting for passengers that aren't ready in those areas with their hazards on, on the side of the road essentially creating like a slow-moving funnel for traffic to move through. Um, and it's all over the place. It's everywhere you go down here in those hours, the busiest times. Mm. In my perspective, I see a lot of that. Um, poor driving habits on the expressways, like um, people who don't want to take turns, you know, they're not doing the proper zipper merging. And um, and a lot of accidents, too, actually, lately I've seen since um, I guess maybe I'm noticing it more just this last month or so, but there's constantly just accidents that are, you know, they're horrible and, and significant causes. I mean, we had a plane land on the expressway yesterday. You know what I mean? It's just weird. We did? That kind of we did? Contribute to it. Yeah, a 355, a plane land. You didn't hear about that? No, I didn't. Wow. An emergency plane landing on 355 yesterday evening. My goodness, as if um, the automobiles weren't enough. We Yeah, no, we definitely didn't hear about that, Caleb. Thank you for sharing. And drive safe out there. Joe, pretty incredible. explosion of... <laughs> You know, Uber Eats and other uh, food delivery, and, and nobody quite knows how to handle that. We know we have to curb, uh, no pun intended, but sort of create the right incentives so people only do that when, you know, the social benefits exceed the cost. Right. And, and it seems to be getting a little out of hand. And those drivers often have the greatest incentive to double park because, you know, they have hot food. They just want to run in. I'll be right back. Then suddenly somebody pulls up behind them, and now you have two cars sitting there, and a bus can't get to where they want to go. And uh, ticketing for that is really tough because the car is there so so briefly. So we have, you know, more photo enforcement is probably going to be critical for that. I do uh, appreciate too the comment just about uh, the chaos that can happen at the curb now with, mm-hmm. the, you know, delivery trucks and things like that. And uh, you know, I notice in our in the loop, I will go down there every day. And the south loop traffic isn't too bad. So I'm at Jackson and Wabash, and it's, you know, it's sort of uh, heavy but not crazy. But you go north of Madison, and it's, it's back. I mean, yeah. the pre-pandemic, people with shopping bags and tourists and double-deck buses, and everything's going on up there. So one uh, double-parked Uber driver could really set things back. So yeah. we are really worried about that, and pedestrian deaths in the loop are, are starting to that's scary. You know, Let, let's hear from another another caller who wants to join us. Here's Rebecca in Uptown. Hey, Rebecca. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? You're not on the roads, are you? Oh, no, no, not today. <laughs> I'm at home. 
Um, yeah, love the conversation. Wanted to input. I've been a Chicago driver for about 11 years. Okay. And I've noticed since the pandemic, I mean, Chicago drivers have always been aggressive, but I feel like we've, you know, we've been safe. Um, and since the pandemic, I've noticed that, you know, people are making a lot more risky decisions. Uh, like the previous caller said, there's been more accidents, more pedestrian deaths, more biking deaths, um, and just a lot more road rage. And isn't it scary? It's led me to choose alternative forms of transportation more, which, you know, I think is a direction we should all go eventually, but um, scary out there. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for your thoughts there, Rebecca. I definitely agree with you on that. WBEZ employee Betsy Berger also sent us a message while she was in traffic this morning. She drives into Navy Pier from the northwest suburb of Arlington Heights. I am sitting on the Kennedy about to get onto the express lanes uh, to get into the city, and I still have about 49 minutes to go until um, I get to work. And uh, I left my house at 7.45. It's now 8.30, so I think all in, my commute today will be about an hour and a half. Um, I think that this week the traffic has been a little worse than it was over the holidays, especially with kids maybe going back to school and parents going back to work. Uh, so the good thing is I have a lot of podcasts to listen to. Um, I'm just collecting my thoughts for the day and tucking in for a very long ride. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Betsy. Uh, Joe, you think Betsy's right about there being more congestion because of school starting up again and people going back to work? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. De- certainly. That's that's exactly what we're seeing. And uh, and again, on a midday trip, looks like Betsy's on, which is where we're seeing that more. And uh, you know, I looked at that, thought of that route, you know, this planes to Navy Pier, and it's a good example where our transit system is great. But we haven't done a great job once you get downtown to get you from the final station to where you want to go. So going, in, in, in her case, from uh, Ogilvy to Navy Pier, that's not an easy thing to do. You know, So yeah. uh, people end up driving because it can save them a lot of time, even with the congestion. And so we just got to get better at that to make give these seamless trips so right. people feel like they can uh, jump on a uh, a transit vehicle and have a time competitive trip. And, right. and so it's it's a shame that uh, a big destination like Navy Pier isn't particularly transit friendly. And joining us now are two WBEZ staffers. If you don't know, WBEZ's office is on the lovely but rather difficult to get to Navy Pier. And over the years, They've had to get creative. Steve Wright is VP of Technology and Operations, and he joins us now. Hey, Steve. Good morning. Good to see you. It's been so long. Uh, like an hour. <laughs> and Dave Miska, WBEZ's Studio Operations Manager and longtime Reset Engineer. Welcome back to Reset. Thank you, Sasha. Now, before I get to you folks in studio, Joe, you know, the, the simplest way to avoid congestion is not to drive, of course, or to drive less. But we're going to get to alternatives later on in this portion of the program, but for the people who must drive, is simply taking an alternate route besides the highways, is that a viable option? Yeah, it it certainly is. And I think, you know, the studies show that when you do have uh, a crisis or expressways closed and people start trying different modes, it could be biking, it could be using transit, it could be uh, uh, some combination where you walk and then uh, catch a different route that they often find they actually like the new route better, but it needs some, they need some shock in their life to give it a try. <laughs> and, uh, 
And so, you know, sometimes uh, it just takes a while for people to respond to this. So I think we're going to see, you know, some people return back to congestion, uh, transit rather, to avoid congestion. Yeah. Uh, the second thing is workplaces are getting much more friendly about saying, okay, you don't have to be here at, at 10 a.m. You can come in when you want and stay late if you want to avoid congestion. And uh, that's becoming more common as people say, I come to the office. I just can't handle this hour and 15 minute drive. It's killing me, as yeah. this one report uh, commentator said. Interesting. All right, Steve, tell us about your commute, because I understand you alternate between driving and public transport and riding your e-scooter. Yeah, the scooter is a lifesaver. How do you decide which mode of transportation you're going to take? Uh, well, the scooter is parked till the spring arrives sometime in August. Um, or whenever it does warm up. <laughs> uh, so I'm back to driving now because the CTA wasn't reliable. So I would find that walking to the blue line and cramming onto the blue line, a train that would come by that you did have room to get on, to go down to you choose uh, Chicago, coming from Wicker Park, getting off at the Chicago stop or at the Grand Avenue stop, the choice of the 66 or 65 was unreliable. Sometimes the 65 wasn't there or it would be, 20, 25 minutes before the next bus would arrive. So yeah. I decided just to go back to driving every day. So what are your tips or tricks for avoiding traffic? I don't do the highway. Uh, I go all back roads. And I've got a few different routes. The Grand Avenue Bridge was shut for a while off of Milwaukee, which I'm sure everyone was aware of because that really made a mess going down Kidsey. Uh, but it's better now. And uh, I just try not to be in a rush. That's my biggest tip is like you're you're not... I see people fly by you, they cut in the bike lanes, they go around everywhere they're going to go, and you still see that same car at the next traffic light. You're not going to get anywhere any quicker. So leaving earlier than the rush hour. Yeah. I've I've tried to leave at like 7.30, and it's still about 25 minutes to drive. If I leave at 8 o'clock, it'll be 30 minutes and drive. But there are just certain days where it's not good. There's delivery trucks blocking the lane or, you know, an accident. You know, there could be a multitude of things. You happen to get on a road that happens to have a bus making stops and you're stuck behind the bus. I mean, it's five, 10 minutes either way. That's not going to make that, you know, the end of the day. I'd rather not stress about it. Just drive and enjoy the ride. Joe, do you think that the completion of the the Jane Byrne interchange will shave some time off of people's commute if they use that? Oh, well, help. Definitely. And we know uh, that's uh, choke point number one, a remarkable piece of engineering. I'm afraid it took too long to get done. You know, we have a highway system that uh, years ago there were plans to build a, a crosstown route that would allow traffic not to all come downtown. But that's old news, so we have it's, it's going to be a big help. Uh, I neglected to mention scooters, which we did some research on, and we find that they really fill a void in like those trips from maybe a half mile to maybe two miles, where it's too far to walk. Uh, getting a divvy bike uh, maybe overkill. But the scooter is really an interesting uh, gap-closing option there, and it's fascinating uh, uh, how how you use it. Yeah. Well, uh, I want to talk about taking the train, and I'm looking at you, Dave. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how many of you listeners have seen that that Metra billboard above the exit to Ohio Street from uh, the 90. It's it's got that old Metra slogan, Metra, the way you really fly. Does that strike true to you, Dave? It absolutely does. Uh, I was a longtime city resident. I lived on the northwest side in the old Irving Park neighborhood, and I took the blue line in every day. But mm-hmm. this past year, I moved to suburban Brookfield. And How's that been going? It's been great. My commute is actually faster. 
So CTA might not want to hear this, but I take Metra and I can set my watch to it. If they say 6.19 a.m., you better be standing there at 6.19 a.m. or you're going to wave as that thing goes away. So uh, I've taken advantage of the what's called Region Connect Pass, which connects you to the CTA from the suburbs. And you pay, you know, it's $130 a month, all you can eat. And you get on the train, you can get on any bus, you can get on any. That sounds amazing. It is. It's actually, that's their COVID plan. That was Metro's COVID plan. And realistically, I'm going six miles further, but my commute is now taking me 15 to 20 minutes less than it did from the northwest side, just relying on the CTA. Wow. Well, let's let's jump to the phones, Dave. Here's Diane, who's been waiting on the line. Hey, Diane. Welcome to Reset. Hi. Good morning. Um, I just wanted to let you know my commute is always horrible. It's anywhere between an hour to an hour and a half, and it doesn't even matter what time I leave. I could be uh, leaving at 7 or 8.30. The drivers, I find, are so aggressive and angry. They're distracted with everything else except driving. I don't think they're very experienced. And there's no police present. It's rare that you see a police officer giving someone a ticket. So, and the Metro doesn't work for me because I'm in the go-go. So yeah. I, I, I could get to Clybourne, but then I have a commute from there. And then I could get to the Loop, but then I have a commute there. So it just doesn't work for me. Yeah. Otherwise, I would love to be sitting on the train and avoiding all of this. Yeah, I am so sorry to hear that it's that rough, Diane. But I, I really appreciate you sharing that. I mean, and, and Steve, it reminds me of, of what we talked about a moment ago, that leaving earlier. I mean, how much earlier than rush hour do you need to head out on the highway? I'm even waiting 10 or 20 minutes to leave the house. That that can have a huge impact on your commute. Sure it can. And you know, it's interesting. I think a lot of drivers know the route they're going to take that day if they alternate like I do. And I think a lot of people do. As I come down Division Street, I'm facing the highway as I'm driving east. And I can see whether traffic is at a standstill or if it's moving. And that can make my decision whether I hop on or go down Milwaukee. So yeah. a lot of times you're just looking to see what the best route is. And Dave, everything sounds like it comes on time for you. So. <laughs> well, until I get to Union Station, then it becomes bus roulette. So now, you know, now I'm still affected by the same problems that the rest of the city has with ghost buses or buses that are 30 minutes late. So sometimes I'll catch an express bus to Illinois and Columbus, which I can switch to the 29 or the 65. Or sometimes I have to catch the 151, which will take me to another area where I can get the 2 or the 29 or the 65, or sometimes walk over the block to get the 66. So like Steve says, he has to look at the roads to see what decisions you make. I have to do that with the bus tracker, which may or may not be accurate. Metro does come, you know, is scheduled fairly regularly, and it does come on time unless there is a mechanical failure. Well, I'm glad you went there, Dave, because we've got a voicemail from Emily who has some thoughts on bus-dedicated lanes. I mainly use public transit around the city, but I do drive occasionally. The traffic I really can't stand is traffic when I'm on a bus. I frequently ride the Western and Damon Avenue buses. Um, Some streets in Chicago, like these two avenues, have dedicated bus lanes for small segments. Um, That simply isn't enough. Between construction, erratic drivers, and rush hour traffic and end up being on buses that take 10 minutes to move a single mile. We really need more dedicated bus lanes.
More dedicated bus lanes. Joe, let's talk about what could make the CTA more viable. I've been seeing some bus lanes as well on Chicago Avenue, for instance. How do they work? And do you think it's possible to get more bus lanes like what Emily said? Oh, certainly. And I'm just, uh, uh, you know, heartbroken about stories about CTA service problems because it's just the time yeah. when we could win back riders and it's a million different factors. But we just have to get that fixed. I mean, the ghost bus thing especially. Uh, but, yeah, bus lanes, other countries, uh, cities using it much more aggressively than us. And, and part of the package is either uh, signal uh, preemption where the light goes green when the bus comes or signal priority where it may hold the green a little longer to allow the bus to get through. And uh, we've been slow. We have a couple routes we're doing it, but it really needs to be front and center. And downtown, you know, the problem is we can't do photo enforcement for a lot of things uh, that we would like to do, which could stop these drivers. From I was at a bus stop yesterday, and a car pulled up and just parked. A guy got out, didn't feel guilty about it. <laughs> I thought, wow. you know, you're setting back this bus 20 seconds. Uh, so we do know post-pandemic with transit, uh, buses really are uh, need to be front and center because mm-hmm. you know it doesn't take ten years to get something done. Sounds a lot like what Diane was talking about. People are just getting bold these days. For whatever reason, after the pandemic, we stopped enforcing traffic laws intensely. I think there were concerns of public safety with human interaction, and so people feel they can you know go eighty on the tri-state and suddenly you have a right. a bad accident and then it ties everything up. Yeah, what were you saying, Steve? I'm not sure they ever enforce traffic laws in the city. <laughs> but, it, you know, it's interesting. Cause now, that, now that I started riding a scooter, you become hyper aware of the bike lanes. It's made me a better driver because I'm very aware of where there's a bike lane and not cutting in that lane. But now that the city is becoming more bike friendly and has done some changes, we're used to have a two lane road. Now you have a one lane road for cars and you have a bike lane that's taken up that other space. That's great, you know, for the bike commuters. But now if you're going to add a bus lane in, I mean, I don't know how they're going to add all these lanes in. The city buildings aren't going to back up. You're not going to lose less sidewalks. So the streets are only so wide. So I'm not sure where you're going to fit a travel lane, uh, a bus lane, a bike lane, people where they can park, and the Uber drivers and Amazon delivery drivers. These are take, very valid know. points, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, cu- I'm curious what your commuting by scooter is actually like, though, because I used to scoot when I lived in D.C. Uh, here and there uh, as needed when you know, bus delays, et cetera. Um, but I was kind of terrified. Um, I would I would be freaked out by it, but would still do it because I need to get to work. It's, uh, it's fun. It's exhilarating. It's head on a swivel. You want to pay attention to everything. But what's interesting is we started, it was a group of four of us, that we started uh, one weekend and wrote the Divi Bites. You had a our, scooter our, group? Yeah, a scooter gang. Um, okay. But not a gang. It's, you know, just happy people. <laughs> but we uh, we rented the, the, the Lyft scooters, or the, you know, and we we're like, wow, this is so much fun. The problem is when you have to return them to a station and you're not near where you want to get and you have to return to the station, there's an upcharge to drop it wherever. So we decided, well, you know, if, why don't we make the investment? And we rode them all last summer. Uh, I think we put over 1,000 miles on our scooters last summer. Wow. Just, you know, from being out and about and, and riding to work every day. That's incredible. Yeah. Let's jump to one more caller. Here is John, who's been waiting. Hey, John, welcome to Reset. Hello. I commute from Edgewater to uh, Bridgeport. It's 11 and a half miles one way. I'm a full-time bicycle commuter. Been okay. doing it for... Uh, and I sold my car when I moved to Chicago in 2009 and really haven't missed it since. Um, uh, but 
it, it's everything is people are so much more aggressive um, these days. Uh, the pushback you get from people in bike lanes, and if you like say something to somebody, I've been physically threatened. Um, I've had people uh, come after me in their cars. Um, wow. and, you know that's really scary. I'm sorry to hear uh, that. So you yeah. so you chose to become a full time bike commuter, and it's been working for you. It sounds like. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it's very doable. And as I was telling the guy on the phone when I first called, I, I'm not an athlete. I really am not. Um, anybody can do this. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm 57 years old, and it, it keeps it helps keep me young. Bicycles seriously are the fountain of youth. Yeah, love um, that. I'm inspired, John. Thank you so much for calling. So, Joe, we're hearing all kinds of alternatives here. We're hearing about scooter gangs and not gangs. Full- <laughs> <laughs> beep, the beep beep kind. Yeah, the, ha- the happy crew. <laughs> yeah, the happy crew. The, the office crew. over there. To We're be hearing fair, about those... biking. Mm-hmm. Those guys, well, Steve and, and one of the other engineers, Bill, they had their scooters. And you talk about safety. They all had scraped elbows and banged up or got potholes. I and... did not. I was very oh, safe. Steve Lepo- we... our IT yes. guy. Yeah. It looked like a yeah. mash <laughs> episode of MASH over there. Yeah, no, and, and it's, it's a real thing. I mean, you have to be careful. We yeah. I mean, We all wear helmets. Um, and yeah. we pay attention to where you're going to the road. Well, another alternative, Joe, you know, environmental advocates, they're suggesting walking if your trip is five or 10 minutes in the car. What do you say about that? Because this, this was the case for one of our reset producers, Brenda. She used to live in the Gold Coast, and she said it just didn't make any sense for her to drive or take the bus when she could just walk. Right. And it is, uh, you know, people that understand that, you know, the health benefits of walking. So if you view it as sort of a workout and uh, a chance to be outside a bit, you know, depression rates can come come down. So there's a lot of benefits, and of course, you need Plan B when it's five below zero. But but that uh, that's the simplest thing, and uh, I think mixing things up is also psychologically good. Doing something different, you know, yeah. by season. I think so too. We'll leave it there. That's Joe Schriederman of DePaul University, Steve Wright, and Dave Miska right here from WBEZ. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. This episode of Reset was produced by Micah Yason and Linnea Dominic, and it was edited by Andrew Merriweather. Help the traffic jam go a little faster by subscribing to our podcast and taking us along for your daily commute. And when you subscribe, leave us a rating and review. That's all for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk to you this afternoon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.